Welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Ramsey Heights. I want to welcome you to our first online gathering services. I realize that this is a little bit different and probably not even what you expected when you uh, turned on your computer this morning, but I want to encourage you to really invest in this just like you were at church. If you're joining us this morning and you're not part of our family, you don't normally join us for worship, I just want to welcome you. I realize you're probably watching this video because somebody shared it, or perhaps just maybe you're looking for some answers in this dark time. I hope this morning's message will bring you some peace in that. Over the next several weeks as we continue to meet online, I want to encourage you to be patient with everything that we're doing. There's going to be new formats, new destinations. We're going to try to figure this out. I understand that a lot of pastors are having people come film them in church as they stand behind the pulpit and preach to an empty room. As I considered that, I felt like for me personally, that would be very fake and it would take a lot of acting to try to bring a message that way. So I decided to try something different and bring the word directly to you and speak directly to you through our camera. So as we go on, I just want to encourage you to um, consider this your Sunday morning worship service. Gather your family around and get rid of all of the distractions. Turn off the TV, put the cell phones on Do Not, uh, do not Disturb. Uh, get out your Bibles and follow around just like we're gathered together and worshiping. Even though we don't get to be together to worship this morning, you can still take some time to worship at home. So I'm going to invite you to pause this video, spend just a couple of minutes in prayer, maybe pull up your favorite songs and sing along to them, and just open up your heart and get ready for this morning's message. If you were with us last time, we were going through a series called Revive This City. We were looking at the book of Nehemiah, and I thought it was a great series. I was really excited about it. As we were getting towards the end of the book, God began to work on my heart and prepare us for our next series, Focus. I had planned on, I sat down and I looked at all the Sundays, and I, I, I timelined out Nehemiah, and I got it to where we were going to start Focus on Sunday morning, Easter morning. Um, as I prayed over this and with all the circumstances and all the changes that are going on in our world, I just felt like God said, move forward. This is the message He has for us at this very unique time. So we're moving past Revive This City, and I'm excited to announce the start of our new series, Focus, asking this question, who is Jesus? If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 24. I want to start with a story that tells us why we're studying this particular subject. Why are we asking the question, who is Jesus, and why are we doing it right now? I think we'll find the answers in this story in Matthew chapter 14. This is verses 24 through 27. The disciples are out. They're, they're going um, across the, the Sea of Galilee in a ship, and they've come upon a storm. And the boat is rocking and tossing and turning. The wind is fierce. The waves are big. And this is Jesus' response, verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. There's something I love about this story. The disciples are experiencing a storm. They're probably in fear for their life. Even though they're experienced with a watercraft, they're experienced with a boat, it was a scary time. Jesus, who wasn't with them, not only knew what was happening to them, not only was he aware of it, not only could he stop it, none of that was enough. 
Jesus said, I want to be with them. And so we see the miracle of him walking on water to go join the disciples, not to get them out of the storm, but to be with them in the storm. That's important for us. Let's continue reading the story and see what happens here. Verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come thee on, unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water and Peter, a regular human with no power, no, no ability, no, he's not God like Jesus is, he walks on the water. But listen to the next verse. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. I love this story about Peter. Peter is so excited when he sees Jesus. He does what he always does. He tries to go above and beyond and do something larger than life. He said, Jesus, if you'll tell me, I will walk to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. Now, this is what's amazing. Peter steps out of the boat and he defies the laws of gravity walking on water. And this continues, but I want to notice when it changes. When it changes here in verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous. See, Peter's ability to walk on water changed when his focus changed. As long as he was focused on Jesus, the circumstances around him had nothing to do with him. They, they couldn't harm him. But the second he focused on the storm, the wind and the waves, when he focused on his circumstances, his circumstances consumed him. The reason we are going through this series right now, the reason we're trying, moving away from Revive This City, is because I think we're in a storm. None of you are surprised to hear that there is a virus that is taking over America. Thousands of people sick and unfortunately hundreds if not thousands dying. We're scared of the economy. We're scared for our loved ones. We're scared of what's going to happen when the supplies run out. A lot of us have been quarantined in our homes trying to stay away from the virus. There is no doubt a storm around us. Here is what I think we need to do. Forget the circumstances. Quit focusing on the storm around us and focus with a laser-like precision on Jesus Christ. Otherwise, these circumstances they will consume us. So this series is focused on that thought that we are going to be like Peter before he focused on the circumstances, and we're just going to look at Jesus. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Now that may seem like a weird question. What do you mean, who is he to me? And it may even seem like I'm breaking some kind of a rule asking who is he to you because we all know Jesus is a very special person. He is the Son of God and part of the Trinity. But I want to know who he is to you. And the reason I ask you that is because a lot of times our view of somebody is based upon our experiences with them. For example, if you're watching this, you probably know me as Brian from church, Pastor Brian. Some of you may have been in my youth group when I was a youth director. You see me as Brian from church, but there is a whole group of people out there who don't know me as Brian. They know me as Mr. Coates. That's my students at Concord High School. They would never know who you were talking about if you said Pastor Brian. But if you said Mr. Coates, the history teacher, the disciplinarian, the, the person who they see at school and who they think doesn't exist outside of school, they wouldn't know who I was. To a little girl named Oakley, she calls me dad. To somebody I'm a son, to somebody I'm a husband. And each person 
looks at me differently based upon their experiences with me. You're the same way. Some of you are grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads. People view you differently based on their experiences with you. They've experienced you as a family member or they've experienced you at work or they've experienced you as friend but they all get a different piece of you. I think we're very guilty of doing this with Jesus, of getting different pieces of Jesus based on our experiences with Him. You don't have to turn here, here but in Matthew 16, Jesus has an interesting conversation. He's sitting around, I, I, I kind of think He was probably sitting around a fire with His disciples. He had been walking around performing miracles, doing great things. And He was sitting with them and there's no telling what conversations they had. And Jesus asked a difficult question. He said, hey, you guys have been out there. You guys have seen the world. You guys have heard what people are saying. He says, who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples knew the answer to that. They knew who people were saying Jesus was. They had heard all the rumors, and they had probably been trying to figure it out themselves. And they answered him, and they said, Some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think that you're Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. And some people think that you're some of the other prophets, like Jeremiah from the Old Testament. They all think you're different. Now, this is interesting that different people had different ideas of who Jesus was. And I think it was because they experienced him. See, John the Baptist called people to repentance just as John, uh, Jesus did. And so when people heard Jesus calling them to repentance from their sins, they thought, this reminds me of John the Baptist. He must be John the Baptist based on their experience. Other people had seen Jesus' amazing miracles, his ability to heal people, his ability to do things that no other person could do. And they say, there's a character in the Old Testament who could do that. His name was Elijah. Jesus must be Elijah. And yet others, they sat under Jesus as a teacher and they viewed him as a great prophet and teacher. He said, he's like Jeremiah. He must be Jeremiah. See, based on their experiences, based on the small portions of Jesus they got, they developed their idea of who Jesus was. Jesus was a little bit displeased by this. He asked another question. So he said to his disciples sitting around the fire after hearing this, he said, Who do you say that I am? You can imagine the hush that fell over the crowd. This is a deep question. These people have been walking around with Jesus trying to figure out who he was. They had decided to follow him, but maybe they weren't sure who he was quite yet. Peter, the same guy who stepped out and walked on water, he was the first to open his mouth. He says, Lord, you are the Messiah. Now see, Jesus, uh, Peter had been with Jesus in all of these different circumstances. He had experienced him in a multitude of ways. And because he knew everything about Jesus, he could say, you are the Messiah. Jesus was pleased with this. He said, Peter, blessed are you. He said, you don't even know what just happened. You didn't figure this out by yourself. God revealed this to you. And Jesus celebrated with Peter that Peter had figured out the answer, that he experienced the whole of Jesus. I think we miss experiencing the whole of Jesus. Some of you have grown up in all kinds of different backgrounds and faiths and cultures, and you get little pieces of Jesus, but maybe you've never experienced Him completely. Some of you come to church only on Easter. I'm not judging you, but it's the truth. And you come not because you really get anything out of it, but you come because it's a tradition that you know in my family we go to church on Easter. And so what you probably view Jesus is, is a man hanging on the cross, beaten and bloodied, and maybe even Jesus risen from the resurrection. Some of you do the same thing, but it's on Christmas time. And so when you think of Jesus, you think of a baby born of a virgin laying in a manger. 
Some of us view Jesus as our Savior, which can still be a very shallow view of Jesus and what He can do. We know He's our Savior, but we never really took it farther than that. I'm inviting you to join me in this series as we look at who Jesus said that He was. In the Gospel, seven times Jesus said, I am, and then He identified Himself to us. He told us who He was and what He was doing here. And in order to focus on Jesus, to look past our small experiences and know more about Him, we're going to study those seven I am's over the next seven weeks. This morning, our first I am comes from John chapter 8, if you want to turn there. This is John chapter 8, verse 12. I'll give you a second to turn there. Jesus is sitting around talking to people. There's a lot of uh, people gathered around Him as He's teaching. And Jesus says something mind-blowing. Verse 8. Well, I lost it. Here, I got it. Sorry about that. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now this is a bold claim by Jesus. This is not something that he just said. He wasn't just trying to describe himself. He said, oh, I'm kind of like light. You've got to understand that at this time, the Jews had nicknames for God. Just like we might call Jesus and we might say to our friends, Jesus is my best friend. I rely on him for everything. The Jews had the same ways of describing God. And one of the ways they described him is they described him as the light of the world. And so when Jesus is sitting here and he's talking and he's teaching and he says, I am the light of the world, he's identifying himself as God. This is one of the things that's going to end up getting him crucified as the Jews reject him. This is a bold statement. People were not happy about this. What can we learn about God, though, by Jesus identifying himself as the light of the world? Well, if you'll notice, the scripture here seems to focus on the concept of darkness versus light. And Jesus says, in darkness, I am light. And those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but they will walk with the light of life. What does that even mean? What does it mean to walk with the light of life, especially in our present situation? Well, let's focus on the concept of darkness and light. Darkness is scary. Have you ever been in a place where it is completely pitch black? Where there is no light at all? I don't mean just kind of dark. I mean pitch black. Can't see your hand in front of your face. It's a scary time. And that kind of darkness, the longer you stay in it, it seems to fall on you. It seems to consume you. You lose your sense of direction. You lose your sense of space. In short, in darkness, there is no purpose for you. You're hopelessly and totally lost. The best you can do is stumble around. And chances are you're probably going to hurt yourself. Compare that with the concept of light. Light is the life-giving energy of the world. Everything you see, the beautiful scenery, it's starting to get spring, things are greening up, are getting green, comes from sunlight. If the sun was to mysteriously disappear tonight, we would not survive very long because everything centers around light. We have to have light to grow the grass that feeds the animals. On all of these things that we eat, are, are, um, they come from light. Without light, we would surely die. So light is the life-giving energy of the world. Everything dies without it. I've also noticed that today, by the way, I'm pre-recording this. This is Thursday afternoon. It's very warm outside. It's the first day over 80 we've had this year. I've noticed that the, the heat is bringing comfort. The past few days have been dreary and cold, but just being able to step outside and step into the sunlight and feel the warmth brings comfort. Also, light allows us to see. It gives us direction. It helps guide us. 
And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, think about this. He's claiming, I am the life-giving force of the world. I bring comfort to the world, and I help you see and get direction. That's amazing to think of Jesus in that way. Have you missed that part of Jesus? Even if you're a Christian, even if you're saved, have you missed the part of Jesus where He is your comfort in the darkness? Have you missed the part of Jesus where He helps you see what's around you when others may not? How do we apply this concept of light and darkness? What does it mean to us in the middle of this current circumstance? I've got a story for you. When I was younger, uh, much younger, I was only like 22. I went to Silver Dollar City with my mom. I wasn't really 22. And as, as we went down into the caverns, if you've never been there, there's a cavern that Silver Dollar City is built on top of you can tour. I found myself very scared as a little boy. Why was I scared? Because the cavern was dark. I was crying and throwing a fit, and I don't even know who did it, but somebody who had purchased a rental flashlight come over and handed it to me. And I was no longer scared. Was the cavern still dark? Yes, the cavern was still dark. But I held in my hand the power to chase the darkness away. See, wherever I pointed that flashlight, there was no more darkness I could see. And even when I wasn't using the light, I knew that I held that power. And because of that, the darkness was a little bit less scary. That's what Jesus does for us in this present dark time. As I was thinking about that, dark times and the light, I started thinking of a song that I wanted to share with you. In our hymn book, this is the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, listen, listen to the first verse here. I'm not going to sing it. I've tried all week to pr practice singing, but I decided just not to torture you that way. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Listen to the first verse. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The author of this hymn, which by the way is one of the most powerful ever written, he says this, he says, It doesn't matter if the circumstances surrounding me are going smooth like the lazy current of a river, or if they're beating me up like the waves on a sea, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, the state of my soul is the same. It is well, it is well with my soul. I want you to think about that today in the circumstances that we face with coronavirus, with sickness, with the fear that we've all been dealing with. No matter my lot, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now this is a very special hymn, probably one of my favorite hymns for the power that it brings, but the story behind it makes it more, or even more powerful. This song was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. He was a wealthy lawyer from Chicago up until 1871. Now see, Horatio had put a lot of his money into real estate in Chicago, and he was doing very well. He was very wealthy. In 1871, though, the Great Chicago Fire burnt down everything that he had. He lost all of his material possessions. In a day, he went from being rich to being poor everything in his life seemed to crumble. If that's not bad enough, that same year he lost his four-year-old son who died. Horatio Spafford lost everything. Two years later, figuring that it was time for him to get away and get his family away from these horrible circumstances, he planned to go to Great Britain and actually attend and help out with a revival preaching in Great Britain with some very famous pastors. Right before he boarded the steamship to go across the Atlantic Ocean, 
he had some business dealings that held him back. He put his wife and his four daughters on the ship. And he said, ladies, y'all go and I will join you as soon as possible. Get away from this place. Get away from these circumstances. Go experience something new. Tragedy struck once again. As their ship was crossing the ocean, it collided with another ship. And in only 12 minutes, the ship carrying Horatio's family sank. When the survivors were rescued and taken to Great Britain, his wife sent a telegram back to Horatio back in Chicago. Two words, saved alone. Through those two words, Horatio Spafford learned that he had lost his four daughters at sea. Can you imagine how heartbroken he was? He's in financial run, run. now he's lost five children. What could be worse in the world? trying to get his wife, knowing that she could not come back. He dove into a ship um, going across the Atlantic Ocean and his, his story spread. The captain of the ship learned that Horatio had lost his family in the now famed shipwreck. And as they approached the area where the wreck had happened, the captain called Horatio up to the bridge and he said, I know that you would want to know this. He said, we are now entering the area where your four daughters died. Somewhere below us on the floor of the ocean, Somewhere is that ship's wreckage and probably the watery grave of your children. Imagine the power of that moment looking out at the ocean, imagining lo losing four of your loved ones, thinking what their last moments would have been like, knowing that you weren't there to comfort them or to save them. What was Horatio's response? Right there, over the wreckage that took the lives of his four daughters, he sat down. And he wrote this song, It is well, it is well with my soul. See, Horatio Spafford had a light in his life. Even in the midst of the darkness, he could chase it away, knowing the light of the world, Jesus Christ. I want to read the next couple of verses to you. Listen to these. Think about this. In light of that story that we just read, think about what he's now saying. He says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. He says, even if Satan chases me, he says, even with trials, trials like losing everything that I own, trials like burying five of my children, he said, here is my assurance that Jesus Christ has looked down on my helpless condition and he loved me enough to shed his blood for me. He loved me enough to die for me. Listen to verse 3. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Listen to these words that he's saying. I imagine tears running down his face. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Horatio, he had a light in the darkness. He had a light in the dark times and he knew how to use it. He had hope. I'm here to tell you today, with everything that's going on in our world, you and I have the same hope. We have the same light in the darkness. Jesus Christ died for us. He has not forgotten us. He is with us. And just like in that storm we read back in Matthew, He sees the storm we're going through and He is with us. I want to encourage you to be like Horatio Spafford. And in the moments of panic and anxiety and fear, in the midst of hurt, in the darkness to focus on the light of the world 
to focus on Jesus. I noticed Horatio focused on Jesus through worship. Think about this. You can worship anywhere, anytime. This week, here's my challenge to you. Turn off the news. When you get on social media and you see the problems and they're talking about the virus, turn it off. And instead of listening to it and letting that panic and anxiety creep in, take time to focus on Jesus in worship. Find a hymn book like this one or pull up some of your favorite worship songs on YouTube and take time to worship and focus on Jesus instead of focusing on the circumstances around us. I'm going to help you with this. Every day this week, starting Monday, going all the way through Saturday, twice a day, we're going to post a song that will help you. On our Facebook page, we're going to post a song that will help you focus on Jesus. When you think that you can't take it anymore, find our Facebook page and look for those new songs if you can't think of any yourself. Focus on Jesus through worship. Now, thinking of all of this with the light that we have, the encouragement, and the peace that this gives us, you have a job. See, Jesus referred to something else as the light of the world. It was you and me. He said, you are the light of the world. We are to reflect God's light to the world. And if you find peace and encouragement in worshiping Jesus Christ and thinking about how wonderful He is, you have to spread that around. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Let us not forget that light must be first imparted to us or it can never, never go forth from us. Find peace this week and spread that peace to others who may be in panic. If you're watching this, I would like to ask you this question. Have you found that peace with Jesus Christ? Have you found that saving faith and that saving peace in Him? If you haven't, it's so easy. It just takes faith and He has grace for you. If you'd like to talk to us about that, I want to encourage you to get on our Facebook page, uh, contact us through Messenger. This is the quickest way to get a hold of us. And I will personally answer you and walk you through what it takes to become a follower of Jesus Christ and find this peace and comfort in your life. I'd like to end this morning with a prayer as we just pray for the community around us and pray that God's light will shine through us. So bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, God, we can worship you in any circumstance. Lord, you are so good to us and you are the light of our world. God, I just pray that, that you will give us the power to turn off our focus on the circumstances, God, and reveal yourself wholly to us. Lord, we love you so much and we worship and praise you in your goodness. God, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us. And God, thank you in our current situation and our current trials for walking with us. Lord, it's just my prayer that I and everybody watching this video will reflect your peace and your light to the world. God, in these dark times, attract people to you through us. Let us work for you. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I want to encourage you, go ahead and set a time now to meet with us next week. Sermons will be up early Sunday morning, probably around 9 to 10 o'clock, for you to take time to worship. I'll see you next week. God bless.